Do you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and land of Israel? Are you seeking to know the Lord more deeply? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Littman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. Ready to be encouraged? Join Rabbi Dove Littman and Pastor Trey Graham. We do welcome you to this first edition of the Lone Star Podcast. I am so excited to be visiting with my friend, Rabbi Dove Lipman. He is in Israel and I am in Texas, and we want to help our friends, our listeners understand how God is moving in the people and the land of Israel and how Christians like me can love the land, how Jews like Dove can love the land. And we want this to be a conversation, the Lone Star Podcast, to be a chat among friends with other friends listening to see how we can share with you the love of the Bible and the love of God and the love of Israel. Dove, I'm so excited about this new project. Tell our listeners, why do you want to be a part of this? Well, first of all, it's so great to be talking to you and great for us to be sharing uh, the conversations that we often have with one another and sharing it with others. Uh, and that's exactly what this is all about. From my perspective, we live in a world where we tend to divide people up into different groups and we say, uh, you're the Jews, you're the Christians, you're the Muslims, you're the Americans, you're the Israelis. And that certainly applies uh, in races and, and backgrounds as well. It's time for us to show that it doesn't have to be that way. Not only does it not have to be that way, it shouldn't be that way. The ideal should be that we can talk with one another, we can work with one another, and we can accomplish great things together. And that's the, the blessing of the time in which we live, is that we're able to have this communication, and we're able to have those walls coming down, and that we can actually have relationships with one another, and especially as people of faith, to be able to share the elements of religion that we share and that we can partner with, and hopefully to do great things with that as well. As an American Christian, I live in the great state of Texas, and I have a love for the land of Israel because it's the land of the Bible. I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus was a Jew who lived in Israel, and the better I understand Orthodox Judaism and Torah-observant Jews in the land of Israel, the better I can understand who my Messiah, my Jesus is. And that's why I like to spend time with Torah-observant, Orthodox religious Jews like Dove, who help me understand the Bible, help me understand what Christians call the Old Testament, and how that is the basic foundation of what we call the New Testament that is built upon the whole of God's Word. And that's actually the, and that's actually the beautiful part about it, is that we can disagree when it comes to issues of Messiah and other elements of faith, but we can put aside those disagreements and be able to focus on the areas in which we agree. And by the way, we can also have conversations about the specific issues where we disagree, but to do so in a respectful manner and in a way, in a loving manner, and to recognize that when it's all said and done, we're all created in God's image, and certainly to take advantage of those areas in which we agree. And I can certainly say that in my time that I've spent with you, that the love that you have for Israel and the support that you have for Israel and your recognition of Israel as a fulfillment of the biblical prophecies, that is something which I could say as a Jew who has moved to Israel from the United States gives me a tremendous sense of 
of support and and strength. And especially in a time when you know, we in Israel are often feel quite isolated in a world which uh, seems to view us as the source of so much evil. And when we find friends like yourselves and, and, and hopefully people who are listening who, who recognize that the opposite is the case, uh, it's something which we certainly have to reach out and certainly have to uh, connect with one another. I live in Texas and I spend a few weeks a year, maybe a month out of the year in Israel. You moved from the Washington, D.C. area and brought your whole family and made the decision to make Aliyah, to live in Israel full time. Tell the listeners, why did you feel that calling from the Lord to do that? There's a moment where you realize that as wonderful as life can be in the United States, and it really was wonderful as Jews and Orthodox Jews, very openly Jewish, we were welcomed. Uh, I can say that I never I experienced even a moment of anti-Semitism while living in the United States. But that moment where you realize that for 2,000 years, the Jewish people, wherever they've been, as we've been exiled and persecuted all around the world, we've said next year in Jerusalem. And three times a day when it came time to pray, we looked up to see where the sun was and figured out the direction of Jerusalem and faced there. And now all of a sudden, God has made that happen. He's given us the land. He's given us our state. He's given us Jerusalem. And he's given us opportunity to live here. And my wife and I felt that the, our children at the time were quite young. And we know that the young children can be quite resilient and are able to adapt well. And we said, we have to try to make this work. God's given us opportunity. How can we, we almost felt, how can we not do that? You know, you open up to the Bible and you read over and over again that this land was given to us as, a, as an inheritance. Over and over again. You look at the last comments of Moses before his death in the book of Deuteronomy, and you see how he talks with passion about a land where he wasn't allowed to go, and you see how badly he wanted to be here, and now all of a sudden this opportunity is here, how can we not take advantage, and we were very blessed to be able to find employment uh, in Israel, and in July 2004, uh, we actually uh, took the leap, so to speak, we could, could not have been more blessed, and it's the most incredible thing to be living in the Holy Land to be living in the land of the Bible, to be living in the land which God says is our inheritance, and to be proudly uh, taking our part in that inheritance. And one of the privileges we have as American Christians is when we study our Bible, either the Old Testament or the New Testament, we have the privilege because of the world and the, the generation in which we live, we can get on an airplane and we can travel there and we can see the Bible come to life. You who live there full-time, Dove, you welcome people like me and, and our church members and our friends that we bring on our tour groups. And I want our listeners to know what you and I share personally, that you as an Orthodox Jewish Israeli, you don't take American Christian tourists as a burden or as somebody kind of cutting into what you're trying to do in your life. You take that as a welcome guest. Why is that? Well, it's, it's, it's the greatest experience to see your excitement and your enthusiasm and your uh, interest and just trying to learn more when you're here. And, and, and for me, I have to tell you, living here, sometimes when you live here day in and day out, it's possible that you can become somewhat numb to the spirituality and to the special equality that comes to the land of Israel. And when groups like yourselves come and visit uh, and I see that excitement, and I see that passion. It reminds me of of the special place in which I live, and the spirituality which is here. And I often ask myself, and maybe you can you can share with all of us. What is it, how does it feel? To put it into words, I, I see it on your face when you're here. But but what does it feel like for you as you get off that plane and you're able to take steps uh, in the Holy Land? 
I tell our tour groups, usually on the first day that we're in the land, I make them a statement that they don't understand. And that is this. The first time I went to Israel, I felt like I was back at West Point, which nobody knows what that means. And so let me try to explain. When I went to West Point in the 1990s, of course, this was the pre-9-11 world, West Point, the United States Military Academy, was the number two most visited tourist site in the state of New York behind only the Statue of Liberty. So we used to say that we lived in a national park. You're walking to class, you're going to football practice, you're doing whatever you're doing, and there were tourists everywhere stopping us all the time to take pictures. And all I remember thinking is, why are you people here? This is just my college. It's just where I go to school. Don't you have anything else to do? Why are you here? But we, we soon learned that they love America. They love the military. They used to tell us they felt better about America when they got to visit West Point because it reaffirmed their love of country and their patriotism and all of that. Well, the first time I went to Israel, all I felt like was we were barging in on your life. We were You were thinking, this is just our town. This is just our village. This is just where we live. What are you, all you people doing here? And yet the American Christians were visiting the Holy Land because it made us grow in our faith. It made us love Jesus more. It made us understand the Bible better. So the first time I went to Israel, I felt like I would ask about the tourists coming to West Point. But it's so much more than learning about American history. It's seeing the Bible come to life. And I've been there more than a dozen times. I can't wait to go back. Every time I go, I learn. Every time I go, I understand Jesus better. And as a Bible teacher, as a pastor, I'm able to teach the Word better because I've walked where Jesus walked. And I have to tell you that uh, I can see that excitement on your faces, on your face in particular, every time uh, that you're here. And for us, you know, to be living in a place where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and to see where, where the, the foundations of our faith came into place. Now, I'll go a step further. To know that we are worshiping today the way our ancestors did uh, thousands of years ago, we don't have a temple, and we don't have all of that element of worship. But, you know, for example, just a few weeks ago, we had the, the holiday, the tabernacles, the holiday of Sukkot, and we uh, went outside our home and lived in a booth exactly as it commands in the Torah, in the Bible, and to know that that's exactly what my ancestors did here 2,000 years ago when we returned and were fulfilling that mitzvah, that commandment, here in the Holy Land. And I have to tell you, our first Friday that we were living here, I sat on my porch with uh, my, my son, and I opened up the Bible, and there's the, the description in the book of Samuel of the ark being taken away by the Philistines. It's actually described in a few places, uh, different stories, but there's one particular story uh, where it says that the ark uh, eventually was returned because the Philistines were afflicted uh, by God for taking it. And it says that it came and it arrived in the field of a person in Beit Shemesh. Now, why is that significant? Because that's the name of the city where I live. I live in Beit Shemesh. And I was able to look at the mountains and say to my son, imagine the ark just coming over the hill over there and coming down to a field right below our home. I couldn't do that in Silver Spring, Maryland, where I, where I grew up and where I lived. And uh, that's what makes Israel uh, so special, to, to see all of that with your own eyes. The battlefield of David and Goliath is uh, a few minutes to the south of where I live. Uh, the area where Samson used to roam was a little bit to the north. Everywhere you go uh, in Israel, you, you have that element. And like you said, you, you pointed out some of the Christian uh, dimensions which you're able uh, to connect to. And for us as Jews, we have our Judaism and our Jewish faith 
uh, that's so strong and all the archaeological evidence of everything that took place here. And it's a, it's a daily reminder of the truth of the Bible, and it helps us uh, connect on a daily basis to God as well and be more spiritual. One of the great things that we want to do on this weekly podcast called the Lone Star Podcast is to bring you uh, some news and some current events about what's going on in the land. But we also want to bring to you what's called the parasha in Hebrew is the weekly Torah portion. Jews around the world are studying the same part of the Bible every week. And the parasha, the weekly Torah portion, is a division of the scriptures into weekly readings and our rabbi here, Dove Lippman, is going to help us understand. And, and as the Christian pastor, I will give my insights on what the Word of God is saying to us every week. And this week's parasha has an interesting name, and it's found in the book of Genesis, chapters 18 through 22. Our listeners need to know that Dove's Hebrew is a lot better than mine. And the, the <laughs> title for the parasha is... Vayera, and it means to he appeared, the Lord appeared. We're going to get into the story, but what does Vayera even mean? First of all, the Hebrew pronunciation was excellent. It's Pashtat Vayera, as we say it here uh, in Israel. And also, just so everybody can understand, this is to, to know that you know, as Jews all around the world, we're united every single Shabbat, every single Saturday. We go to synagogue, and we're all hearing the same stories and, and studying the same section. And so it's a, it's a unifying force, which is remarkable, and I'm so thrilled uh, to be sharing with you as well. Uh, Vayera is actually referring to God appearing to Abraham. Uh, he appeared to Abraham. This is right on the heels, actually, of Abraham and his family uh, going through the difficult process of the circumcision. And it... You know, and by the way, that appearance of God to Abraham only takes place uh, in the land of Israel. It's not described until Abraham actually arrives in Israel. The Bible never says that God appeared to him. There was some kind of communication beforehand, but to have that kind of connection with God, and uh, when, as described by that word of Vayera, that only happens uh, in the land of Israel. And that sets forth the famous story of the angels who came and visited Abraham, and Abraham's incredible kindness terms of bringing them in and, and taking care of them, even though he was in pain and suffering from the difficult procedure of, of the circumcision at his old age. And that's where Vayiran uh, begins. It begins with the appearance of, of God to Abraham and the story of the three angels visiting him. As you say, the story where Abraham welcomes them in, he shows great humility and kindness and hospitality. And then two of these angels decide to move and make a visit to the city of Sodom. And all of our listeners have probably heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's become a cliche for immorality and perversion. And the nephew of Abraham, his name was Lot, lived there. And God said he would bring judgment on Sodom for all of their sin. And then there's a very interesting story where Abraham begins to plead with the Lord in a very humble way, I don't believe that his prayer was ever demanding or bossy toward the Lord, but a very humble way. And he kind of goes down the list and he says, dear Lord, if there's 50 righteous people out of however many thousands of evil people, if there are 50 righteous, would you spare the city? And then he goes down to 45 and 40 and 30, all the way down to 10. And the Lord in his grace says, yes, I will spare the city if there's even 10 righteous people. Rabbi, what do you think the prayer of Abraham was so humble and so persistent. What do you learn from that consistent prayer of God's mercy? It's an incredible, incredible lesson, and every time I read it, 
uh, I, I try to internalize the lesson because human nature is that you know if you have people who are bad or people who you view as not like yourself, certainly people who are immoral and, and wicked as the Bible describes the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, you just want them to be destroyed. Even live in a world today where there's lots of evil and of course we have to fight against that evil and we have a responsibility uh, to do our part in fighting against it. But wh- what should our ideal be? Should our ideal be that we want them to be destroyed or should the ideal be something else? And I think you see from Abraham that the ideal is you want them to repent. You want people to change their ways. You don't want to see them destroyed. You don't want to see them killed. Abraham cannot handle the fact that God is destroying the city because he says there might be righteous people there, but the commentaries explain righteous people there who can then influence the rest of the city to repent and do better. And, and he wants to see the good in people and see people change. And that's a theme that we actually see throughout Jewish tradition. We see the Talmud as well, where there's a, there's a well-known story where there's a discussion amongst the sages, and even uh, in one case, the wife of one of the sages got involved, and they're talking about, do you pray that sinners should be destroyed, or do you pray that they should not be sinners anymore? And the lesson that we learned from Abraham is certainly to always to hold out hope and, and you know, recognize that everyone's created in God's image, and we don't want them to be destroyed, we want them to repent. And I can tell you, a son who lives in Israel... Uh, surrounded on enemies by all sides. We also deal with Palestinian terrorism. Uh, it's something to remind ourselves all the time that, uh, of course, we have to fight, and we do, and we have an army which we call the Israel Defense Forces. We're not on the offense, we're just protecting ourselves. But the ideal, and our prayer should be that we wake up tomorrow and everyone repents from their evil ways and we can just get along with one another. The same way the two of us right now uh, you know, have this relationship and this friendship and this conversation, and that's something which at some point in history wasn't possible between Jews and Christians. But when we reach the point in time where we can, that should be our hope in terms of all mankind. That's very much uh, the lesson that we, uh, certainly in the Jewish faith, learned from Abraham's example. I'm so curious to hear uh, from a Christian perspective what the lessons would be and what Christian tradition teaches about that issue. I'd like to give two verses, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament for our listeners, and it, it builds on the theme of what you're saying. Ezekiel 33, verse 11, the Lord says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. And then in Second Peter chapter 3 of the New Testament, the Apostle Peter, who was a friend of Jesus, he writes, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So the idea that you can have just 10 people who are righteous, who are God-fearing, living in a city of thousands, of 10,000s who are wicked and evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord said he would spare the wicked because the righteous are there, that leads to a, th- a Christian thought where Jesus talked about we need to be the light of the world. We need to be the salt of the earth. That even if we are the minority, the God-fearing people, the righteous, the honorable, and we feel like we're surrounded by the unrighteous, we don't have the choice as followers of God to hide in our closets, hide under the covers, and wish the world were better. No, The Bible tells us, I believe Old Testament and New Testament, to go out and be that light for God, the light for righteousness. And Abraham wanted Lot to be light among the darkness of Sodom. But another part of this parasha, Rabbi, is that Lot, who knew God, 
and was mentored by his uncle Abraham to love God, he seemed to fall in love with the evil and the wickedness of Sodom. And in maybe modern language, he gave into temptation. There's no doubt about it. You know, we know we live in a world which is filled with temptation all around us, and being raised uh, in the best of homes and by the best of parents uh, doesn't doesn't ensure anything. And that's also a, certainly a place where prayer uh, is very much necessary. We in our faith, there's there's consistent, constant prayers uh, for our children. One of the most important moments is actually as the Sabbath begins and the, and the, uh, the wife in our home lights the Sabbath candles at the moment where there's a special prayers uh, for the children. Uh, but every single day we have that. And that's something which always has to be a, a concern. I think that's a fantastic lesson uh, to learn uh, from the story that you see someone can actually go in that direction. But nevertheless, the love is still there. The heart is still there. Abraham wants to do anything can to save Lot and to save all the people uh, there. And, and building up what you were saying before as well, you know, we have the, the prophets uh, in the Old Testament, our prophets talk about uh, being a light unto the nations. That light unto the nations can be in many, many areas, both in terms of holding out hope that everyone uh, can see that light and be spiritual, but even in this area as well, in terms of our children and those who grew up in our homes and, and certainly trying to influence them and raise them in our beliefs, but also understanding that they have freedom of choice and nothing's guaranteed in terms of uh, where, where they will end up and what will happen. But Abraham maintains that love, maintains that ability to reach out and, and certainly shows that uh, in his passionate prayers to God for his nephew, but also uh, for all the people in Sodom and Gomorrah where he hopes that they'll be able to uh, repent and, 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 and turn their ways around. Our weekly Torah portion is a part of the podcast. We'll bring you each week our Christian audience needs to know that for about 2,500 years, the Jewish people have read the same portion of Scripture every week worldwide, keeping them unified in their knowledge of the Bible and their love for God. And they sit in the synagogues and have this type of conversation. What does this Bible verse mean to you? And what lesson from Scripture should we gain from this? And so, Rabbi, as we come to the end of today, I guess I would ask you to talk about You and I, you're the rabbi, I'm the pastor, but we're both husbands and we're both fathers. We both want to raise children to be godly and righteous, even in a sinful world. What lesson can we take home from Abraham about listening to God and persistent prayer before God and forgiveness of those who wander away and welcoming them back? What kind of lessons can we take home with us from Abraham's story? Well, first of all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to Abraham in a moment, but I, I want the listeners to know that I was able to be uh, a guest of yours in Texas and to see you, and I saw you interact with your wife and with your children, and I was able to see the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful family uh, that you've been blessed uh, to create, and, and your children with their respect and their dignity and, 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 and also you know, interest in sports, but also interest in spirituality, and uh, certainly a lot that I can learn from you in terms of the way uh, you're going about that. Hopefully one day you'll have the privilege of, uh, of hanging out a little bit with ours as well over here in Beit Shemesh. The, obviously the invitation is, is issued to you. you know, the Bible is a Bible which is supposed to be alive. It's not just a book that we put on our shelves, but uh, the reason why we read it every week and we talk about it in the synagogue and at the Sabbath table and in uh, lessons, class, classes throughout the week 
is because it's supposed to be alive and talk to us on a regular basis. And we, in 2017, can look back and, and see Abraham. And when I read that story, I, I, I think to myself, number one, to reinforce that idea that yes, we have enemies, yes, we have people who are who are not believers and, and stand for almost, you know, in our situation, they celebrate death instead of celebrating life. And I remind myself that, you know, even though we have to fight, and even though we have an army, the ideal would be that we just, they, they just turn it around and we can all get along with one another and, and to pray for a time where it could be that way. That's part one. And then, and then part two, just to recognize that nothing's a given and that, you know, when dealing with our children or our students or our communities, to always, uh, just be filled with love for everyone around us and hope that our example, as Abraham's example, uh, can spill over and have an influence, and I don't have a doubt that it had that kind of influence. That's how Abraham was able to influence his entire generation as the first the monotheistic believer, and uh, that's something which I always remind myself, that uh, my actions uh, can have an impact, and, and, and people can learn uh, from me, and hopefully I can rise uh, to that challenge and be able to influence people uh, to be spiritual, to be uh, believers, to be God-fearing, and that it have an impact uh, on their lives. And so curious to hear for yourself, now that you're, we'll be studying the Parsha together uh, every week uh, in terms of the lessons that you'll take home from this. Well, I am very impressed by Abraham's persistence in his prayer, that he cared so much that he said, Lord, I know I asked you before for 50 righteous, but maybe there's only 40 or maybe there's only 30. He didn't want to dare tell the Lord what he had to do. And I don't believe he changed the Lord's mind. We serve an omniscient God, an all-knowing God, but we serve a merciful God. And Abraham's persistence in prayer that he cared so much for people that he knew were sinful, that he knew were unrighteous, but he wanted them to live so they would have the chance to repent. And he specifically was focused on a family member. And all of us have family members who are not walking with the Lord, who are not walking in biblical truth. And we need to take the lesson of don't forget them, don't ignore them, don't give them over to their sinfulness, but keep them in our hearts, keep them in our prayers, and continue to beg the Lord for their repentance, beg the Lord for His mercy, and for their restoration to Him. And I look forward so much each week, my rabbi friend, to talk to you about the Torah portion, but we're also going to talk about news and current events on this podcast. And in our last minute together, tell the listeners why keeping up with the news and watching the news and reading the papers, why is that so important for American Christians to know about the current events in the Holy Land? I think there's two sides to it. One side is just to gain inspiration, uh, to realize on a daily basis the magnitude of what's happening in Israel and the amazing times in which we live where these prophecies are coming true. And as you read the news and you hear about a country that's flourishing and growing and, and, and in gathering of the exile, that's just provide a person with inspiration. But also, number two, uh, there are things that people can do, both in terms of prayer and in terms of action items, in terms of your own legislatures, uh, to help Israel. So it's critical to know what's going on, so that every single day when you pray, uh, you'll know what to pray uh, for Israel. And uh, when it comes to uh, electing uh, officials, and making sure that they're going to be true to America's support for Israel, to be aware of what questions to ask, and to make sure that their votes and their policies 
uh, are in consonance with that. So on both of those levels, I, I think it's critical, and we will touch on you know, the top stories of the day uh, and try to get a sense for how American Jews and Christians, how they can respond and, and what they can do to help Israel uh, with its challenges and with whatever is happening in the news of the day. We want to thank our listeners for joining us for this first edition, the first weekly podcast called the Lone Star Podcast, because Dove lives in a Lone Star state. And so do I. Rabbi, so good to visit with you, my friend. I look forward to taking this journey together. Always good to talk to you and to all the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. And we view this as a journey of all of us together. So share with your friends. Let people know about it. And hopefully every single week we can have many, many people getting together and having this conversation. Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lippman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.